0: Hello and welcome to The Heat Seat. I'm your host Sophie Solaria. This is the place you'll get to meet some of the amazing patrons, experts and ambassadors behind the fantastic campaign that is Menopause Mandate. We shall get insight into these women's female health experiences from menstruation to menopause and we'll find out how they dealt with their lows, gained their knowledge and found their path to where they are now. But before that I want to talk to you about knowledge and education. Tina talks passionately about the importance of both these things throughout the podcast you're about to listen to. She believes that education is the one thing that will help women feel empowered, help them change their own lives, understand what is happening to their body and make the right choices for themselves. That's why Menopause Mandate has partnered with Let's All Talk Menopause. Let's All Talk Menopause is a webinar platform. They run regular sessions with leading menopause experts covering all aspects of peri and menopause. And if you'd like the chance to learn more about your symptoms and ask the leading experts your questions, you can subscribe for as little as £5 a month or £50 a year to access regular sessions plus the library of over 60 great talks. And if you quote MM20 at checkout, you'll get 20% off your annual subscription. Meanwhile, let's meet today's guest, Tina Backhouse. She's the UK's general manager for Theramex, a specialist women's health company. She has over 25 years experience in global senior leadership roles in the pharmaceutical industry and is passionate about ensuring all women have equal access to care so they are able to make educated choices about their menopause treatments and other health conditions. But before we meet Tina, I just want to make you aware of some sensitive conversations you're about to hear. Tina candidly talks about baby loss. So in case this is a trigger for you, I wanted to flag it up now. Meanwhile, let's head over to meet Tina Backhouse. Welcome, Tina. Hi. Thank you for joining me for today. Thank you. It's a
1: pleasure.
0: So let's go back then to when
1: you were growing up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What did you know about Periods, female health. I had quite a strange childhood because my parents died when I was a baby, and I grew up actually in care in a um, children's home. So it wasn't talked about at all. I didn't have a mother to talk about it with. So, you know, there was no social media. This was the 70s, right? So there was no social media. Um, it certainly wasn't talked about on television. So, no, it wasn't talked about at all. So the care
0: system didn't prepare you for Not what was all. about
1: to come? No not at all.
0: So what happened when you got your first period then?
1: Well I was at school and I thought yeah I thought I was dying I think I, I honestly thought you know this is what's happening to me I didn't know at all and I probably was I was trying to think the other day I probably was 12 or 13 so quite young still um, certainly at secondary school But we hadn't done any kind of that kind of biology at that stage because you did it much later, um, probably 15 or 16 when you did human kind of reproductive biology. So, no, I didn't know what happened. And I remember going to reception and the school secretary giving me, you know, they used to give you these huge towels with loops on the end. You know, they used to be attached to some kind of belt and just giving me some of those and saying it's perfectly natural. And then just other girls, I suppose, telling me, oh, that's what's happened to me. So I kind of got to know. Um, I didn't know when it happened to me, what it meant. But obviously, as time went on, then you get to know, I suppose. So your health education
0: ultimately came from where?
1: Uh, From other peers um, whose mothers had spoken to them and from teachers who were willing to talk to you about it, but certainly nobody in the care system or social workers or anybody like that. And you know that is that is quite awful now, right? You would you can't imagine that that would have happened. But there's a lot of things that happened in the '70s for children in care that we can't believe would have happened now. So you know, and that's just the way it was. No one had that responsibility. No one took ownership of making sure that girls understood about their gynecological health. So how long were you in the care home? From the time I was 11 months old until I left school at 16 and went to university basically or Mm -hmm. eight, seven, 17 when I finished my A-levels and went to university so yeah.
0: Was it common for people to leave the
1: care home and go off to uni? No not at all so it's really interesting actually that, so, you know I'm 53 now so what's that, 35 years ago less than one percent of um, children in care were to higher education, and that figure is exactly the same today. You're a special so, person, Tina. What focused your mind to want to do that? I think you know, I was quite, I was quite lucky. I was academic, and and I did have re- a really good physics teacher who basically said to me that, you know, if you go to university, this is your way out. You can make a really good life for yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. And I suppose really inspired me, which is what teachers can do right? in the right circumstances. Education is your only real freedom. And, you know, that's what he allowed me to see and inspired me to do that. So, you know, I'm very passionate about the the need for education and for, that people can only... Take control of their lives, whether it's in their health or whatever part of their life, they can only take control of their life if they actually have the education and the knowledge to be able to do that. So you're muddling
0: through life in that way. Mm,
1: absolutely. Did
0: you, did you have any other female concerns like endometriosis or PCOS or anything that was a little bit out of the ordinary? Were your periods okay? Were you okay? No, with- my pe-
1: my periods have always been incredibly good right up until sort of perimenopause. Really, I've they've only ever lasted like two or three days, minimal pain, not much bleeding. You know, um, I did have brushes with gynaecological health. Um, during my time at university when I was very young I was pregnant and had a stillborn baby actually and the care that I got afterwards for that there wasn't any care basically and there wasn't any support for that and again this is very different this would have been mid-80s it kind of builds a picture in your mind that all the things that can happen for a woman gynaecologically are not well supported and you know you, that you're just ill it's just part of being a woman you just have to get on with it having a miscarriage is just part of a woman you have to get on with it having stillborn babies it's very sad but you just get on with it having bad periods or endometriosis is just something that we're meant to get on with and I think that is a a theme that I recognize that has been there my whole life certainly during the 70s 80s 90s, and really, is it massively different today? It's better, but not massively different.
0: And I'm so sorry to hear about your stillborn baby. Literally, you just had to carry on, you didn't get any counselling or anything.
1: None, none at all, and no, no um, conversation about how that would have affected you gynecologically, which clearly it does you know, so none of those things were, were offered at that stage, no, you know, so I think that what happens to go, to girls at that age is that, you know, their contraception choices, there weren't really any contraception choices, you know, you were given the pill, you weren't offered the coil at that age, um, it's only very recently that younger women have been offered um, the coil, I think it was always reserved for older women, and um, so you had no real choice, and and so, you know, you're, immediately told well if you don't really want that to happen to you again then you have to take contraception and your only real choice in contraception is to take the pill. That is just
0: a lot isn't it for somebody up to 20 years old. What happened next?
1: Actually I went to work for the National Union of Students for a while and then I eventually ended in industry and I went to work in Big Pharma. I worked for Pfizer for a long time both here and abroad, in a lot of different roles. And after I left Pfizer, after, I don't know, 15, 16 years, I then went to smaller companies in diabetes and pain management, you know, and also in um, respiratory disease as well. I suppose at that point, I had my children. I had my first son when I was 37, so quite a big gap. Between um, what had first happened to me and having my son, and I can remember really clearly there were differences in in how you were treated, but there were still massive gaps in the care that you had as a pregnant woman as well. Tell us God. about these gaps. Well, I remember really clearly after I'd had him, and it was a very quick birth. It's my first child who was born in four hours, so it's quite a traumatic experience, and. I remember afterwards being sewn up by a junior doctor. That's what happens to us. You have a baby and then you're immediately put in stirrups and sewn up by a junior doctor. And I remember crying because I don't know why I was crying. I was overwhelmed. I was emotional. I was hormonal, all those things. And he said to me, why are you crying? I've just had a baby as he was stitching up my vagina. you know. And, And I think that that has always really resonated with me as a point of, You just don't get it. You just don't get it. Um, And you know that was when was Max born, two thousand and seven. So that wasn't even that long ago. So I think you know there were differences, but I think it didn't change my mind that the overall gynaecological health of women was not a priority, and it wasn't actually seen as a important part of healthcare. It's just seen as something women get through. Oh, you get through your pregnancy. But there was no proactivity around the choices that you have and the choices that you have around your gynaecological health.
0: Absolutely. And you ended up having two children, Max, who's 16, and a daughter, Layla, who's 13 now. Yeah. So what do you teach your children with regards female health, periods, etc.?
1: Yeah, they would probably say too much. So Max would probably say I teach them too much. But I'm very open with them about discussing this kind of thing. And, it, you know, it's a different thing. Now, because they are aware of a lot more stuff on um, social media and the internet, and you know that's where they get their information from, right? So, they were taught in school. They were taught certainly taught in primary school, age nine and ten. They started having that kind of reproductive health education that we didn't have. Um, so, I think by the time they get to secondary school, they have quite a lot of knowledge. And of course, girls now are menstruating a lot younger, so. I mean, certainly, Layla, um, she was just 11, I think, when when she started her period. So, you know, that is happening earlier. So they need to be prepared for that. They would probably say they know too much about the menopause, and they probably do know quite a lot about menopause because they've listened to me on things like this talk about it. Um, So they really understand that. Um, But I do think it's important for them. And, you know, the education they receive in school we can't rely on, it's not a school's job, you know, it's a job as a parent to make sure that they understand it and they understand the choices they have. And, that you know, looking after, especially for Leila, looking after her gynecological health is a really important part of her life.
0: Well, I mean, you say it's a school's job, but in the case of you, who and yeah, in care, you know, you think there wasn't a parent around who'd be able to teach. So, no, you could expect it to be taught in school nowadays I 100%
1: think. yeah and we should expect it to be taught in school and menopause to be taught as well that is definitely something they need to be taught about all aspects you know they need to be taught about their contraceptive choices they need to be taught about the fact that not everything is normal just because you bleed you know how do you recognize when you have endometriosis or PCOS or fibroids How do we know those things if we're told all the time that what's happening to us is normal and we just have to get on with it? How do they recognise that? So all those aspects are really important for them to be told.
0: So tell us about your menopause,
1: your experience. So I guess in my mid 40s, I suddenly, from having very light, non-painful periods, went to having absolutely horrific bleeding to the point where, I could barely leave the house because I um, was flooding so badly. I had to sleep on towels. I literally could not wear enough towels to soak it up. It was horrific. Totally Um, debilitating. Totally debilitating and makes you feel terrible. You know, you're having like three or four showers a day. You don't understand what's happening to you at that point. I had private health care, so I did go to my GP initially, and they referred me to a gynaecologist. So they did a scan, and during that scan, they said to me, oh, your coil has gone. It's not there. And I had images of it floating around my body, which obviously it can't float around your body. But, you know, when someone says that to you, it's a very frightening thing. And what had basically happened is that I had been bleeding so much and clotting so much, it had just bled away, and I didn't even know. So basically, I had fibroids. So I um, went to surgery, had the fibroids taken out, came out of surgery, went back to the gynaecologist and was still bleeding, not as heavily, but bleeding and feeling awful. Just no energy, no understanding of, you know, I thought I'd have the fibroids removed. I would stop all that horrific bleeding and my life would start again because my life was completely on to hold at that point i could barely work and i certainly couldn't do anything social you know i remember it was my one of my best friends 40th birthdays i couldn't go to that because i couldn't do anything social that would involve going out
0: how long was this going on for
1: this is going on for at least a year so and did you and... have any idea it was the menopause no none at all because i tell you why because again it's lack of education right so i was I've always thought I will know it's the menopause when I start getting hot flushes now I've never had a hot flush in my entire life um, I'm quite a cold person actually so I I was just waiting for that hot flush and this gynaecologist that I saw at no point did he say to me in fact I remember it so clearly Me saying what is wrong with me and he said I wish I had a pound for every woman your age who's asked me that that's what he said you and he hasn't this, joined the dots. Hasn't joined the dots to think, why are women this age asking me these things? You know, and this wasn't that long ago. What well, I'm 53 now. This was probably when I was 46. So, you know, less than 10 years ago. So I carried on doing this. And at that point, I was able to choose to become redundant. And I did that. And I thought, what am I going to do? I need to, you know, this is all I've ever known in this industry. And at that point, there were other symptoms that I wasn't really understanding that were part of it. The biggest symptoms for me were I couldn't sleep and I put that down for the anxiety. You know, I'm a single mum, I need to have a job. There's always a reason, right, for these things. And that's the problem with menopause. We can always find reasons why these other symptoms might be happening. So I felt very anxious. I was having heart palpitations. I went to my GP. They did an ECG. Nothing wrong with me, but still had heart palpitations. And worse, I couldn't remember anything. I had complete brain fog. And I remember going into the white company in Winchester. It was a very Winchester thing to do, obviously. uh, Going into the white company and buying something. And they said to me, are you on our mailing list? And I said, oh, yes, yes. And they said, what's your postcode? And I couldn't tell them. I could not tell them what my postcode was. I thought, my God, you know, I'm getting early dementia. That's what I thought. What a scary thing. I I, I honestly thought that. And, I, you know, when Davina talks about it now, having, you know, that she thought the same about early dementia, it's the most terrifying thing, you know, that you can imagine. And also I'd read some articles that said, Women with very high Qs were more prone to early dementia. So I thought, oh, that was obviously must be me. I'm so so clever. I'm going to get early dementia. What a terrifying
0: experience for you. Yeah. How did you finally get HRT and find out that it was the
1: menopause? So I had gone for a job at a very big pharmaceutical company, and it was a job, Sophie, that I should have walked into. You know, I had. Basically, done exactly the same job before. I knew loads of people. I had to go through a day assessment centre in a very stuffy room with one glass of water. I couldn't remember anything and I didn't get that job and no one could believe it and I was like well this is the end of my career obviously and then what happened was just after Christmas someone contacted me and said there is a company, a women's health company and they're looking for a sales director and we recommended you. So I had a chat with the person that was um, recruiting. I went in on the Monday morning to meet them, and I started on the Wednesday. And I, as soon as I walked into the office in Sloan Square, I knew this was the place for me. It was women's health. I felt really comfortable. But still at that point, I was feeling so unwell that I... Um, said i can only do it as a temporary job i can only do it as an interim so i'll do it for the first six months 12 months to bring the product that they had for hrt back into the market because they had bought a product from another company that had um, discontinued the product and they wanted to relaunch it in the uk and that was in the january of 2020 then of course in march we went into lockdown and at that point, I was still feeling terrible. But I was obviously speaking to gynaecologists and menopause specialists all day, every day. Then one of them said to me once when I was, you know, so you start to understand what I knew about what's happening. Oh, these are the things I'm feeling. I wonder if this could be what's going on with me. I'm probably at that age now. Of course, I was at that age, but still quite resistant because I haven't had a hot flush. Ah. Oh. And then I know we're waiting for that moment. We were so conditioned, you know, know. women my age are so conditioned. Oh, it's all about the hot flashes. I am so get so cross with my friends when they say that now. I'm like, oh, that's the least of your worries, believe me. And one of them said to me one day, one of the menopause specialists said to me, do you think you're in the menopause and that you need HRT? And I thought, well, at this point, what have I got to lose? And I started HRT and it basically made such a huge difference to my life and became a real passion for me. Um, And that was, you know, three and a half years ago at Theramex and came out of lockdown. I became the general manager and we were the smallest um, business. The UK was the smallest business in the Theramex franchise. you know, it was worth less than £2 million a year. And now, three and a half years later, it's the biggest business. Um, We're the biggest country because the menopause message has grown so rapidly. And especially during lockdown and everything that's been going on, you know, the, the uplift of social media and people going to social media for their information and understanding more about what's happening to them and women with platforms talking about that that, you know, that's had such a big effect. Yeah, so that's basically what happened.
0: What a story, though. What a story <laughs> that you literally could not function and didn't know no. how to get a job. Literally. The job saving
1: you. The job save me. And the other general managers in the other countries go, oh, it's so personal for you. It is absolutely personal for me. You know, this is the job I'm going to do till I retire, which hopefully won't be very long. This is what I'm definitely here to do. And I have to make as much difference as possible because it did absolutely save me. You know, I was a complete mess. I mean, I was sleeping less than two hours a night. You can't be a single parent and have a job like this. On less than two hours sleep a night. I mean, you feel terrible. How do we even function? How do women even function? And, and, and not to mention the bu- blood loss, probably Anemia. you were probably anemic and everything. Yeah, absolutely. But not every
0: woman can walk into a job where there is an expert HRT specialist that happens to tell you, you know, this was a particularly unique situation that you were walking yes, into was. a specialist yeah. area. You know, yeah. there'll be so many women out there that their next job was nothing to do with health and they're still living this life. So, Why do you think women's health is so
1: neglected and goes so untreated for so long? I think ultimately it's what we talked about earlier. It's not really seen as separate conditions. It's seen as part of being a woman. And, um, you know, until very recently, women weren't even involved in drug trials. You know, they they were excluded from drug trials. So there has been a lack of interest and a lack of um, specialisation, I suppose, around it. I think what is really important, I always say to people, and we talk a lot about menopause specialists, and, you know, it's fantastic that in the UK, there are so many great menopause specialists. But my real passion is that I don't believe that women should have to go and see a menopause specialist. I believe when we are pregnant, we don't go and see a pregnancy specialist, we are treated by our GPs, and we are treated by our family surgeries, and by you know midwives and and nurses in the community and there's no reason why GPs should not be able to do this and a passion is that we shouldn't have to go and see menopause specialists and women certainly shouldn't have to pay to see menopause specialists but they should expect that GPs are managing each part of their gynaecological health from periods from issues like Fertility, endometriosis, uterine fibroids, all these things should be managed in primary care. Yeah. Or pharmacists,
0: indeed. Or pharmacists.
1: I mean, pharmacists are ideal. I mean, I was furious last night. I saw something on Instagram where someone had said, oh, pharmacists aren't clinicians. That's absolute rubbish. Pharmacists are in a really great position. They see women trying to take herbal um, sleeping pills to you know buying supplements we spending a lot of money on things to try and help their menopause they're in an ideal position to advise and actually give advice in the community. So Theramix
0: is the lead provider of HRT how did you cope and still cope with the challenge of
1: shortages? It's been incredibly difficult especially that first year when we were bringing it back into production different formulations are more difficult to make so patches for example are quite difficult to make compared to tablets for the, the patches you get sheets the size of football pictures and you have to make them into different sizes wow. and you know so it's a very difficult process and I remember when we all got pulled in to see Sajid Javid who was the then health secretary about the HRT shortages and I said to him, you know, it's not like just ordering more bread at Waitrose. It's it's not that easy. It takes a long time. You have to source the raw materials, the API, and you have to make the formulations. So the first year was incredibly difficult. We were bringing a product back to market. The previous owner had discontinued it. We had no idea of what the demand would be like. And of course, during that time, what we saw was the fantastic Divina programs, people using their platforms, which I, you know, people get a lot of criticism, I think, celebrities and different people get a lot of criticism for talking about their experiences. I've had criticism talking about my experiences as well but I think it's incredibly important that every woman uses whatever platform she has to try and educate and to talk about what is normal and what is not normal and what is available mm-hmm. so we had no idea that that would have such a big effect I mean the, the month after the first Davina program the sales increased by almost 40% and you know you can never forecast that that's that's unprecedented so it's very tough Um, It continues to be tough because every time we think we would have like six to eight months safety stock, which we should have by now because we've massively increased our manufacturing capacity, made huge investment. And if another product, if a competitor product then goes out of stock, then obviously that has an impact on you as well. So at the moment with most of our products, we're in a a really good position.
0: That's really, really good to hear. Very reassuring, to be honest, for everybody. (laughs) And then you got involved with the Menopause Mandate campaign. I think it probably happened
1: through meeting Carolyn Harris. Yeah. So I met Carolyn quite early on. I think she's amazing. I think, you know, as a politician, I think she does incredible stuff and she's really genuine and she really understands what is going on for women. And she's not afraid to speak her truth. And then... At Theramex, I think we've always felt that our job is to, you know, we only do women's health. Lots of big pharma companies have sold off their women's health business because they didn't see it as profitable or important in their portfolios. This is all we do. We buy products that other companies don't want and we bring them to market. So for us, we genuinely have a passion to make a difference. And I think we felt that if we could be involved in menopause mandate and help, like we did through um, sponsoring the educational videos, then that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make that available so that education and you know those resources were available to all healthcare professionals and not just menopause specialists.
0: And what are you most proud of? from your campaigning in this area across your life so far?
1: I think I'm most proud of encouraging other women to speak out. I'm really proud that we are at that table and we can use, you know, people sometimes see pharma as, you know, a money-making machine. We definitely make money. It's a business and, you know, we have shareholders to, to please. But We can have do that with having a social responsibility as well. And I'm really proud that at Theramex we're probably seen as a company that do want to get involved in things, do want to put ourselves out there and say we can partner. It doesn't have to be we're making money out of it and we're never going to say anything about it. You know, pharmaceutical companies have a really bad reputation for being so quiet and not talking about what they do. You know, I've had criticism through talking about what I feel and about my experiences. And I do think it's really important. And I'm really proud of that. I did a webinar recently for women in business in in my industry. And there was a lot of women on there. And the feedback afterwards about, you know, being brave enough to talk about your own experience and what had happened to you and how it had affected your work in this industry was incredible and for me that is really important I like to be transparent people I like to be honest and I think it's really that's the thing I'm most proud of that the impact that we can make just by being our authentic selves doing what we believe is the most important thing which is to bring innovative treatments for women and you know those are the things I'm most proud of and to do that working in partnership with people. You know, that's what I like about Menopause Mandate. Everybody has the same objective. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you have a social media following of millions or, or you're just us making the products. But everybody has the same objective, and the same objective is to make sure that all women, regardless of their class, regardless of their colour, regardless of where they come from, their educational background, regardless of whether they grew up in care or not, have the same access to education and to the treatment that everybody else has. We know that women who live in more deprived areas are 30% less likely to be prescribed HRT. We know that and we can't accept that. You know, we know that black and women of colour, you know, have different experiences of access to gynecological care and we can't accept that either. So I think it has to be whether it's a woman you know, like me, who's in a position where I could afford a private health care, or a woman that's working on a checkout in Iceland has the same level of care for their gynecological health. Exactly, Tina. Thank you. (laughs) What do you want to see tackled next, therefore? I do think we have to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. I think we have to talk about the class divide. I think we have to acknowledge that there are women that are struggling to get treatment and to be taken seriously and they tend to live in the poorer areas and you know it's really important that carolyn's campaign and it was carolyn's campaign not the government's campaign to have the one prescription charge that's made a huge impact for a lot of women but only if they can get their symptoms taken seriously and they can see gps who are educated and who actually do something about it so I think that's where we need to go. I think that's the same for black women, for Asian women. We need to be able to break those taboos to reach those women, but also women of class. And we don't like to talk about class in this country, but there is a class divide in terms of gynaecological health. Absolutely, there is. Thank you,
0: Tina. We're going to end this podcast by asking each guest to choose their favorite song from the Menopause Mandate Hot 100 playlist which can oh, yes. be found on Spotify. So
1: what's your favorite song from the playlist and why? So there's lots of really good songs on the playlist. I think the playlist is a brilliant innovation and I love it. But the song I chose was Hard to Concentrate by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because I love the red hot chili peppers. It certainly sums up my experience of menopause as well. Thank you for your time today, Tina. You're very welcome. Thank Thank you. you, Sophie. Thank you so
0: much for listening to today's podcast with the wonderful Tina Backhouse. I'm sure you'll agree Tina's story is so inspiring and incredible. What she's managed to achieve from her life in the face of adversity is exceptional. To find out more about Tina and the great campaign work she does with Menopause Mandate, head to menopausemandate.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, we would love to hear from you. If you have anything to say about the episode or the podcast as a whole, please let me know on the heat seat at menopausemandate.com. We want to give you the best possible podcast, so let me know what you want to hear. Plus, if you like what we're doing, give us a good review and, of course, share it with your friends and family as well, because we love community and we believe that this is where the best support can often be which is why we've also partnered up with Holland and Barrett. You see, H&B are truly dedicated to the health of women and believe that menopause very much matters, which is why we at Menopause Mandate have teamed up with them to offer women a free menopause advice line for support and guidance. This gives you a 15 minute check-in with a qualified nurse who can give you unbiased evidence-based support. That is what we like. The nurse will check your symptoms with you and help you to prepare for a GP consultation. They'll also to give you a guide on how to manage lifestyle changes during this very important life stage, giving you support and help to feel empowered, which in turn, of course, gives you back some control. So if you want support and guidance, please do go and book your free session at hollandandbarrett.com. And that's all for this episode. Thanks again for being here. And until next time, goodbye.